is like a fire hydrant because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give an overview. Just a, I'm going to just blast us with the Word of God. I'm going to give us an overview, and then over the next weeks, we're going to take each one of these things and break them down into into a section. But I want to give us an overview because I want us to understand something as 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 much as we possibly can, and. So here's here's the idea, touching heaven, changing earth, and that you're here to change the world. You're here to change the world. You and I are here to change the world. You say, well, I can't change the whole world. We can change our world. We can change those who are around us. We can change those who we come in contact with. We can make changes and there's five things I'm going to be talking about and we'll deal with these I said in in greater detail but if you remember the disciples remember those guys they were saying Jesus Jesus teach us how to pray you you taught John how to pray you know or John taught his disciples how to pray so you teach us you show us how to pray and so in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 and 2 you know it's saying teach us and here's what he said the first part is what I want to focus on for today. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Teach us to pray, says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then we know Jesus taught in a little more depth when he was going on the Sermon on the Mount. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says, Our Father, who are in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he adds some things there. And I think that's the focal point. First of all, he says, he, he wants us to get this into our hearts and the mind. When we pray, when we're seeking God, he's our father. God is our father and he wants us to come to him out of relationship. Jesus is pointing out that fact. He's saying, God is your father. So when you come, you come to him as father, but you honor his name. Hallowed be your name. You you honor him. He might be our father, but he's God of creation. He's God of heaven and earth. So when we come before the father, we honor him and we respect him and we give him the reverence that's due his name. But then it says, our father, which art in heaven, which art in heaven, which art in heaven. And so what's this? It's trying to get us to go like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now some people say heaven isn't up. But guess what? When Jesus <laughs> when Jesus was taken from the earth, he went up. He didn't go down. He didn't go in the earth. He went up. And so for us, heaven is this way. And he wants us to understand our Father is in heaven. And to think of things from heavenly perspective that we're asking a God who reigns and rules in heaven. And so we don't have to think of ourselves just as a normal person because we're a child of God, because we're the son and daughter of the king. And we can ask the one who reigns in heaven. And then he says, your kingdom come, which he said in that other prayer, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when the kingdom of God comes, it brings the rule of heaven. When the kingdom of God descends on this earth, that's why Jesus came. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's among you. I'm here. I'm bringing the rule of God right now. I'm bringing his kingdom. And it's here. And it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what he's doing again is he's trying to have us remember that that what we're experiencing so often on this earth isn't God's full plan. It's not what he has in mind. His plan is heaven on earth. His plan is to bring his kingdom in the midst of the destruction in this world and to restore it and to bring life and to bring abundance and fullness. And that's what it's all about, as it is in heaven. And so what God wants us to do is get a heavenly mind. He wants us to touch heaven. He wants us to touch heaven so we can come and change earth. That's why I asked Josh. I never asked Josh to sing songs, but I asked him to sing that one. 
because I just wanted us to get this touching heaven and changing earth. And we're going to see five different areas that God's given us so that we can do this. It's so incredible and it's so amazing. So the first one is prayer. Prayer is our divine weapon to change the earth. Prayer is our divine weapon to change the earth. It comes from God. And we cry out to God. And any answer that comes, comes from Him. It's not from us. It's from Him. The Father, who's the source of everything good and gracious and kind and loving and wonderful and awesome. All that He has for us comes from His hand. And so we have a divine weapon. We have a divine weapon called prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says that the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers it says the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god and so one thing that we can do in in prayer is we can stand against the work of the enemy and ask that the light of the gospel shine into people's lives. That where the enemy has blinded them, we can, we can see his hand move. We can see him come. And so we can pray and we can believe for people, for circumstances and situations. We can pray for the glory of God to come into their life so that they can see. The enemy is blinded, but God has given us the ability Have you ever had that where you've talked to somebody and it's like they don't get it? They don't get the gospel. They don't get anything. It's the gospel so simple. It's so easy. But you can speak it and it falls on dead ears. You can speak it and people just, nah, I don't understand this. I don't get this. It's because their eyes have been blinded. And so God has has something for us to do is to speak the name of Jesus and to bring out, set the captives free. Isn't that what he did? Set the prisoners free. Set those, open the eyes of the blind. He's given us that. And we'll look at that in a minute. You, you know, all this stuff intertwines, so it's so hard sometimes. And so then what it says also that takes place in Matthew thirteen nineteen, it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is Jesus speaking again. So when we speak the gospel and they don't understand it because they're blind to it, then the enemy comes and snatches it away. And so we can, again, resist the enemy and we can fight against him and stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And here's what it says. In Ephesians chapter 6, and we got to get this. We got to get this because it's so easy to look at men and get upset with them. It's so easy to look at the wickedness that happens in the lives of men and get put off and totally uh, pushed against and just resist the people when what, when what God's telling us is our struggles not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. But it's against rulers, it's against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we see this, you know, that you gotta, we have to think of this, is that people, people if they're blinded, if they don't understand, and if they don't comprehend, then they're captives. And we're set here to set them free. We're set here to do the continuing ministry of Jesus. We're here to do what he said he came to do. We're here to do because we're his body. We're to bring the kingdom of God. And we'll see that in a minute. Again, this all all lines up together. But our fight is against the enemy. So we have to understand that when the enemy has a grip on a person's life, that we need to war against that grip on the enemy. And we need to speak in the name of Jesus and do a work. So he gives us, he tells us in this same passage, I didn't do this whole passage because it's huge, but it says this, it says put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the works of the enemy, so that you can do everything and stand. Put on that full armor, put on everything that God has. And the armor, 
Don't just look at the pieces like, oh, it's a breastplate. No, look at what it is. The armor that we have is truth. The armor that we have is righteousness. The armor that we have is the gospel of peace. The armor that we have is faith and salvation and the word of God. And then right after that, it says, pray with all prayer. And so prayer is, our, is one of our weapons. It's one of our weapons to fight against the work of the enemy. And we walk it out in truth and righteousness. We walk it out by proclaiming the gospel. We walk it out by having faith and walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have those things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, I like this. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Saying we're walking in this body, our abilities, our strength, our life, our, all that we have. We're walking, but we don't fight with our own strength. And he tells us this. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So it's not of us. It's not our weapons. It's not us. It's not our strength. It's not our wisdom. It's not our ability. It's none of those things. He says this, it says, but they're divinely powerful for the destructions of fortresses. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. In other words, God has given us power and ability to move on his behalf. And it says, what do we do? What do we do with this? It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. For the longest time, I thought that this scripture was just for like the individual. You know, we're just, I'm, I'm got this thought in my head and I'm grabbing hold of it and I'm taking authority over it and I'm, and I'm uh, going to deal with it in my own life. I'm, I'm making it line up with Jesus. I'm making it do what, what it's supposed to do. I'm rejecting those things that are bad. But, you know, Dutch Sheets, he wrote a book on praying for the lost loved ones. And in that, he mentioned this very scripture that we can use in praying for other people. And I never really recognized that. But when you think of it, what was Paul constantly doing? He was fighting against the false doctrines. He was fighting against the things that were robbing people of salvation and robbing people of the life that God had for them. And so here's, here's what these things are, these things that we're, we're, we can fight against. They're called speculation, lofty things, and thoughts. So we can pray for people that their minds would be cleared, that every false belief that they have, that everything that's stopping them from coming to Christ, everything that's hindering them from understanding the truth, we can, we can divinely, powerfully break some of those things off of their life so that they can come and respond to the Lord. So what are these things? What are these speculations? The speculation is really the idea of, of worldviews or philosophies. Colossians says, don't be taken captive by false philosophies and the things of the world and the other teachings of the world and the teachings of different religions, all these different things. He says, don't be caught up with these, this mindset that opposes the truth. And so these, there's these things, and we can pray, and we can say, Lord God, there's, there's this mindset that's going on. And if we know the people, we can, we can pray pretty specifically because we know the things that are going on in their minds because we have a relationship with them. We can begin to break down those things and begin to pray and intercede on their behalf for God to touch them and to move upon him. How about the lofty things? These are those prideful, rebellious thoughts of man that resist God's truth. They're just those things that rise up. I'm not doing it your way. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, you know. When, when They actually rebelled against God. It wasn't just a little thing like, oh, I'm going to eat the fruit, you know. This was, I'm going to become like God. Because that's what Satan was actually trying to get them to, to go for and to fall for in his temptation. God won't kill you. He knows that on the day that you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him. And so here's this whole thing where they're saying, 
Yeah, why is he holding back on us and all this stuff? And they grab the fruit and they eat it because they want to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so they rebel against God and come under the authority of Satan and totally mess up our world. You know, we can blame them and say, oh, if it weren't for them. But guess what? We do it too. We've made our own choices, haven't we? And so we can't just point a finger and blame. But we know this is how sin entered the world was through Adam and Eve and through their sin. They have made a decision that impacted every single one of the children that came after them and affected the world and everything in it. But we can begin to pray. We can pray for humility. We can pray for God to move upon them and to touch them and to change their heart and their attitudes and their minds and see that, that their ways are not God's ways. How about this word thought? The word thought is, is the word that's used for plans and schemes. Every thought, this is, this is my understanding of this taking every thought captive. You know how it goes. You're just walking around minding your own business. Boom, this thought comes into your mind that's not of you. You know it's not of you because you're repulsed by it. You don't like it. It's gross. It's why would I think that? What kind of, you ever do that? What kind of Christian am I? I'm thinking this thought. It's not your thought. It's the enemy popping a thought in your brain because he's the tempter. He tempts and he tries to pull us into things. He tries to condemn us and make us crush down. And so when he does these things, these thoughts that come into our mind, we have to take them captive. And so we can pray. We can pray for people and we can ask God to move on their behalf. We do it for ourselves, but we can do it for others and begin to pray because then they can have their eyes open, their ears ready to hear, and God can do a work. You know, when he's talking about these soils, that's what things we can pray over people's lives. When we see people that, that are just blind to God, we can ask for their eyes to be open so they can understand so that Satan can't snatch that seed. For those who are, are worried about the cares of the world, we can begin to pray for them and ask for God to begin to show them the things that are necessary for them to walk in God's ways and all of those things. So, so this, is, this is what I'm saying. Prayer is powerful. And every prayer, prayer that you pray is effective. You know, sometimes we don't see it right away, and that's why we go, oh, it just didn't work. Sometimes it takes time for prayer. I, I don't get that either. Have you ever tried to figure this thing out, even in the Old Testament? I, you know, God's not limited. God's not limited. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's defeated Satan. He, def- he kicked Satan out of heaven already. I mean, it, it was done. Jesus came to, to deal with the sin and break the total power of the enemy in our life. But you ever think of this? You know, Daniel, the first, from the moment you prayed, I sent an angel. It took 21 days to get there. It took that angel 21 days to get there. It says because the prince of Persia was blocking the way. What? We don't understand that stuff. How come? God just has to go flick and he's out of here. But there's things in the, in the spiritual realm that we don't understand. And I think, again... Some of this is is because God's placed man in authority over the earth and things that have happened on the earth are because of man giving way and allowing that to take place. And because of that, it doesn't hinder God as far as his strength or his ability, but it does stop him from moving in ways that he would desire because we haven't asked, we haven't said let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let this be done in this situation. We haven't prayed. We haven't interceded. And so it takes time sometimes. And we don't get all that, but that's, that's my best shot at it. Understand that because it doesn't make sense because God's not limited. All he has to do is say it and it's done. It doesn't matter what Satan does. Satan's not powerful. Understand that. He's not powerful. He may seem powerful to us, but... He's not powerful to God. You know, when you have, she's not powerful, that little girl, that little baby girl. I'm not threatened by her. She's not going to hurt me. You know what I'm saying? That's because I'm big. (laughs) But you know, a baby's not going to hurt me. And Satan's not even a baby in comparison. He might be an ant, a a little ant or something. But he's powerful. 
So he's given us prayer as our divine weapon to change the earth. And then not only that, he's given us power and authority. That's the second area. It's our divine ability to perform his will on earth. It's his divine. (laughs) It's our divine ability, right? It's his ability because it's divine to perform his work on the earth. So he's given us power and authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, he gives us the authority to preach the gospel. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what he's saying is that he's, I have authority and I'm giving you this authority to preach the gospel. There's no one that can shut us down from preaching the gospel. The only way they can do it is kill you. They can throw you in prison, but you can preach it there. They can put you in solitary confinement. It might be a little hard. But you, know, you never know. You might, might preach the gospel and someone might hear it, even when you're in solitary confinement. But we can, we can preach the gospel. And we know the apostles. We know what they did. They were said, stop preaching the gospel. They said, well, you, what, you do what you want to us. We're preaching the gospel because it comes from a higher source than you. You may be the rulers of Israel, but we're preaching in the name of Jesus, and he's given us authority to do it. And then in Acts 1.8, he's given us power to preach the gospel. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He says, you're going to go, and you're going to have power. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit on you. Remember, what we have is divine authority, divine power. It's not us. It's Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. Christ in us gives us this authority. The Holy Spirit in us gives us power, just like the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then he tells us what to do with this power. In uh, Mark chapter 16, in verses 17 and 18, it says, These signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, let's stop there. It says those who have believed. Does it say super apostles? Does it say prophets? Does it say evangelists? Does it say teachers? Does it say uh, anyone in the church hierarchy? It says whoever believes that opens the door for every single person so why can every single person minister in the things that we're going to read about is because it's through the power of the holy spirit you have the same spirit that i have god gives us different responsibilities and sometimes with that maybe there's more opportunity for us to do other things but god calls us and gives us the power that we need. He says, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So he's saying, This is what you're to do. You're, you're to, to touch and bring my power, my kingdom, my heavenly realm into this earth by touching people and bringing healing and deliverance in whatever form they might need. And you know, like sometimes we get this pick up the serpents and drink any deadly poison. Like, what's that all about? Well, he tells us in Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, He says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Serpents and scorpions are just words that are used to describe the demonic realm. He's saying, I'm giving you power over demons to tread on them. I'm giving you power over all the work of the enemy. He says, over all the power. You've got to use stuff in context. So he's not talking about, you know, it's pretty easy for me to, to step on a, scorpion i think right 
You just go over there and you go, and they're, they're squished. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about demonic power. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you have this power, but that the spirits are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. He says, rejoice that you know me. Rejoice that, that you're with me and that your names are written in heaven. Don't glorify in this stuff that you have this power. But he gives us the power for what reason? To help people and see them freed and delivered. He gives it to us so that we can stand in faith like it talks about. When we've done all to stand in faith and for us to believe the things that God has said. I want to say this again. I I just want to say it again in this place because now we're talking about these power ministries, the things that God has given us. I want to say it. Every prayer that you pray accomplishes something. And I want to say this too. (laughs) We should rejoice in any change that we see. Any change that we see. I want to give you a perfect example. Renee's standing up here saying she can't even bend her knee whatsoever, has to walk down the stairs, do all this stuff. So Wednesday night, we just did a fun thing because Wednesday night we're, we're learning about healing and we're praying for healing and, and that's what we're doing. And so Renee couldn't be there, so she texted Suzette and said, you guys can pray for me. And so what we did is I got on FaceTime with her FaceTime put her on the TV because I have that technology. She was on the TV. And then, yeah, I know I did. Suzette loves sound effects when I do that. She loves that. That's her favorite thing. And and so anyway, so then I'm sitting here and showing her everybody. And then we prayed for her. And, and instantly she got the relief that she was talking about. She was walking around and grimacing and stuff while, after we prayed for her and stuff. But obviously there was quick healing, something where you can't bend your knee to where you can bend your knee. You can't sit down to where you can sit down without pain. And so that's, that's a rejoicing thing. That's something to rejoice at. That's something to say, yes, God, yay, you know. But you know what can happen? We can say, well, look, she didn't get totally healed. Her knee still kind of hurts a little bit, maybe. It's not quite fully whole. It's not quite fully healed. And instead of rejoicing and saying, God, you did something that was awesome, we, we can look at what didn't happen. And when we look at what didn't happen, we get depressed. When we look at what didn't happen, we don't celebrate the thing that did happen. And when we keep our eyes on what doesn't happen, we never move forward to see more happen. We have to rejoice in the small things. That wasn't small, but the smaller things. It wasn't a total healing. It wasn't an instantaneous 100%. Her knees were absolutely perfect. But she gave some insight. She says, you know what? I'm learning something through this, and I'm learning that maybe I'm holding on to something. That I think sickness is kind of... You know, it does something for me. And so maybe the Lord's going to show her that, deal with it, and then she'll be totally healed. We don't know why people aren't healed instantly, but she was touched, she was healed, and we need to rejoice in that, keep our eyes on that, and keep our focus there, because God is doing tons of small things that when you add them up, he's doing incredible things in our midst. He's doing them. But, you know... It's just like like sometimes we get a picture of what we want to see, and if it's not there, then we're bummed. Have you ever had this? I've never done this, so I have no idea. I've never done this, so I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I've never said that. And I probably won't. Because I'll just go for one. Because then maybe I'll do it. But here's what happens. So we go and we go and we go and we go. And we're going to get 10 pounds. We're going to get 10 pounds. And we got a deadline. And we're going to do it and we're going to do it. One pound off. Woo! Two pounds off. Woo! Three pounds off. Woo! Four, five, six, seven, eight. The time comes. Oh! I only lost eight pounds. I only lost eight pounds. I'm supposed to lose 10. And so you make the two pounds bigger than the eight. 
You go, oh man, I feel I'm so bummed out. I didn't make my goal. Well, cut your goal in half. Just make a goal. Make it reasonable. Why do we do that? It's so easy to look at what we don't quite accomplish and negate the whole eight and sit there and be depressed and eat something. You know how, that's how it works. Oh, I didn't make my goal. Might as well. And then we eat. Man. Well, we do it. I don't because I never, never go for it. <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that. Oh, my goodness. So... Do you know what I'm saying? So we, we got to say, when we're moving forward, when we're seeing some of the things that we're asking for, even though it's not the fullness and the completeness of what we have, we have to rejoice and focus on what God has done, what He's doing, so that we don't get depressed and say, oh, I might as well just eat. Move ahead and keep pressing because God's Word's true. So the third thing, Oh, by the way, this is five P's for those who love these kind of things. We're looking at our purpose. I don't know why I do it. My brain just does it. We're looking for our purpose, which is our divine call from God to touch the earth. God has a call on every one of our lives. It doesn't matter. Usually we think, oh, I don't have a call into the ministry, and that's what, what I do. You know, I'm, I'm the preacher guy, Suzette's the preacher lady. Here we are. We're called into the ministry. No, we're all called. Every single one of us are called according to God's purpose and according to his plan. We're called. And in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20... Jesus answered some of the people that were trying to, you know, bother him all the time. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you'll marvel. But he's saying, I don't do anything except for what I see the Father doing. The Lord's going to show me things. And again, let's connect this to the first thing that we said. Teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Show me what you want me to do. He'll show us how he wants us to pray, but he'll show us what he wants us to do. There's not one of us in this room that does not have a call. And that does not have an anointing by the Lord. You can say, no, I don't. But I'd rather believe God than you. Okay? I would. Because sometimes we just don't see it. Because we're, again, depending upon ourselves rather than his divine power. He's called us and he's saying, I want to show you these things so that you can do them. I'm calling you to, to be involved in this. I'm calling you to, to be my hands and feet in this area. And here's what Jesus said. And I, I, this is, I like John chapter 17. It's Jesus' prayer to the Father when he's in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he says this in verse 4. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Do you see what Jesus said? I did what you asked me to do, and that gives you glory. I glorified your name by being obedient. I glorified your name by proclaiming it. I glorified your name by healing the sick. I glorified your name by casting out demons. I glorified your name by, by doing whatever I saw you do. And that's what God requires of us. Do you want to glorify God with your life? Then do what he shows you to do. It's really easy, but it's hard. It's always easy but hard. It's so easy because it's just see what he's doing and do it. What do you want me to do, God? And do it. Oh, I can't. I don't have this. I don't have that. I, I don't have the education. I don't have the money. I don't have. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. He knows it. He's calling you and giving you divine weapons. 
He's calling and giving us his power. Because we can't do it apart from him. He knows that. That's why he gives us weapons. It's not your own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. That's the righteousness he's talking about. And so it's, it's something that is wonderful. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. And we can do the same. We can stand at the end of, end of our life, just like Paul did. And he can say, I've, I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I've completed everything. I've done everything that I know the Lord asked me to do. We can do the same. Now, we might not do the exact same things Paul does. Obviously not, because there's only one Paul, and he calls us uniquely. But he's given us gifts to do everything he's asked us to do, and power from the God himself to do the things he's asked. I told you this. I'm going to give you the super short version. But I took about six to nine months, one year, and I can't remember how long it took, but I, I asked the Lord. I was reading those parables, and it says that, that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. The only way you're going to get a well done, good and faithful servant is if you do the things he asks you to do. That's the only way. There's no other way to get it because you have to do what he wants. You can do a million things. You can, you can become anything you want to be, but unless you do the things that he says, he's not going to say, well done. He's not going to say it. And so I said, God, you got to show me. What are you going to hold me accountable for? And so I took just I took a long time because I wanted to get it in my heart. What are the main things you're holding me accountable for? He told me what they were, and that's what I try to do with my life. That's what I'm doing as far as I know. Everything that I know, you know, everything that I know. And I already have a pre-signed yes my signatures, I gave them, you know how they talk about putting your signature on a blank check? Yes. Yes, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I'll do it. Not too scared because he's always going to be there with us. Remember, he says, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. He never asks us to do something alone. Actually, many times what he does is he invites us to do it as a group because that's what we'll talk about here in a second. I'm almost done. This is really cooking. I didn't think I'd get this fast. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Paul said. He says, Brethren, I don't regard myself as laid, having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm, what's he pressing for? He's not pressing for his salvation. He already has that. He's pressing for the goal of the high call, what God's called him to do. What's the high call? It's what God said for his life. Do you remember what happened when he was Saul? Boom, he gets the, sees Jesus, his eyes are blinded, and for three days he's blinded. Do you know what it says in the scripture? God showed him all the things that he would suffer in, for his namesake. I don't know if I'd want to see that. Especially when you think of Paul's life. All he's seeing is getting beat up, cast into prison, whipped, hit with rods, three times shipwrecked. Come on! But God showed him, and he still pressed toward the high call. Because he knew that the stuff that he has on this world, he, he talks about it, momentary affliction. Boy, did he have a different mindset. More, he says, momentary affliction, the stuff that I'm dealing with here on earth, isn't even to compare to all the glory that we have. Wouldn't it be cool to be snatched up like he was? He says, I don't know if I was in the body or if I was out of the body, but I got snatched up into the third heaven and I saw things I can't even tell you. He says that. He understood heaven's real. He understood 
that this world is not his home. He understood that there's more to it. And so he was willing to lay down his life, even to the point of death. He didn't have to go death on the cross because he was a Roman citizen. They were nice to him. They just chopped his head off. Peter got crucified. But you think about this. He knew his purpose, and he pressed toward it. And that's what God's calling us to do. Press towards what he's called you to do and be. If it's too big for you, don't freak out. You've got a big God helping you. One guy told this great illustration. He says his dad used to be a construction worker, and when he was like a little kid, like four years old, three or four years old, he'd go to the construction site and be with his dad, and his, his dad would say, hey, come on over here, help me carry this two-by-four. Of course, his dad would get it in the middle, and then he'd pick it up, and the kid would be going, you know, and of course, he's holding 99% of the weight, and the kid's going, yeah, look at me, I'm helping my dad. And then he'd go, oh, you're so strong. You know, kids. That's what God does. He gives us, he comes and he picks up the two by four in the middle and he says, come on, help. What are you asking me for help for? You got it. Yeah, he wants us to do it. He's made us partners in the gospel. He's made us partners in what's going on. He's put us as rulers in this world. He really has. And so he's called us for a purpose. And then he's called us to a place. Our divine position in the body to touch the earth. Our place. We need to be part of the church and an active part in it. I'm going to read this one. Uh, it's up there for you to whip through if you'd like. But this is a long one. And I'm just going to read it to point out what he's talking about. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul's talking about the body, that we have to be part of the body. And you'll see what, what some say. Some say, I don't need to be part of the body. Or some say, well, I'm not. I'm not this, so I'm not part of the body. And they refuse to be part of the body. And what, what God's calling us to do is to find out who we are in the body Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to do what someone else is doing. Try to be who you are. Because you can be the best you ever. I don't know if you try to be someone else. It's not you. It's not you. And there's no anointing on it. It's just there's no anointing. Because you're trying to be someone else. You're trying to work with gifts that you aren't given. You're trying to work with Saul's armor. Right? So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we have been baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of the one Spirit. Now here's what it says. For the body is not one member, but many. And this is focusing on the diversity of giftedness and, and, and parts that God's given. We have one body. I have one body, but I have hands and feet and elbows and nose, feet, uh, feet and noses and ears and stuff like that, nostrils, whatever. But we have these different parts, and that's really what he's saying. He says, and if an ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed. That's why I'm saying you have a place. God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desires. So just as he's given you a purpose, he's also given you a place. But you have to take your place. And some of these were saying, well, I'm not this, so I'm not part of the body. Oh, well, I'll tell you, you know, it really, it really can bum you out when you try to be somebody else. Because it's like, it's like you have to be fake. You have to be who you're not to be somebody else. Now, it says in verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. See what it's saying? Like, I don't need you. I don't like your gift. It's different than me. I don't need you. After all, mine's the most important. Well, we think that sometimes because God's placed that in us. We think what he's given us is the most important because it is to be the most important to us. But to understand that there are others who form the body, that when we all come together, it builds us up and touches us and changes us. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable are those on those, excuse me, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presumable members become much more presentable. Whereas our own presentable members have no need of it. But God so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that they may, there may be no divisions in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. So here's this idea. God's given you a place. God's given you a place you fit perfectly because he's created it for you. He's placed you just as he desires. So that becomes important. Sometimes we look at things backwards. It's easy to say this, my ministry, my ministry. I can say my ministry. It's his ministry. We're called to do his ministry. There's things I need to do, but it's not mine. It's his. Every single one of us, anything we do, it's his. Because he's the author of it. He's the one who created you. He's the one who formed you, gave you all the gifts and talents. Aren't you glad this last point is so small? It's this big. People. Our divine reason for still being here on earth. I know you've heard the scripture, but let's put this in this context and this understanding. That the only reason we're still here on the earth is to touch people for the glory of God. He's keeping us here for other people. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Do you see what that's saying? Some people are mocking God. It happened in Corinth. Where's God? Where's his return? Where's his coming? He said he's going to come. Where is he? Why hasn't he come back? Why isn't it happening? And this tells us why, because he wants as many people to come to Jesus Christ as as possible. I almost said humanly possible, but that's not correct. That's why I didn't say it. As godly possible. He wants as many as will come. He knows the perfect time. He knows the time when he's going to send Jesus back. He knows the time of his return. But you remember what Jesus said in the beginning when he came? He says, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save it. But the second time he comes, he's coming to judge the world. And he will bring justice and righteousness, and he will destroy all evil. And every evil man that refuses to repent, he's going to deal with them. And his heart is not to. But his righteousness says, I must. And so he's just waiting till that perfect time that he knows. Remember there was a perfect time for Jesus to come? There's a perfect time for him to come again the second time. And so this is what God's given us. He's given us prayer as our divine weapon to change the earth. 
He's given us power and authority, our divine ability to perform his work on the earth. He's given us purpose, our divine call from God to touch the earth. And he's given us our place, our divine position in the body to touch the earth. And he's given us a heart for people, our divine reason for still being on the earth. And so, Lord, we just speak your name and we thank you for your salvation. And I do want to just end our time. Why don't you just close your eyes here? I want to end our time because I want to give us an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord in your life, then I want to give you this opportunity now because this is the day of salvation. This is the day. It says it in the scripture. Today is the day of salvation. It says don't turn to the left or the right. Just listen and respond. And so really what salvation is all about is recognizing that we've sinned against God and we've fallen short of his glory. And that Jesus Christ, through going to the cross and dying on the cross for us, has made a way for us. He has made a way for us to be forgiven because our sin has estranged us from God, has caused us God to separate himself But when we understand that Jesus has made a way for us, his blood, his shed blood on the cross has made a way for us. And so with that, I just want to uh, give you an opportunity to accept the Lord and respond to him and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And if you'd like to do that, just go ahead and just catch my attention. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to do that. Thank you, Lord. Okay, for those listening, I want you to pray this prayer. Father, I come to you, and I confess my need for a Savior. I confess that I've sinned against you, and that I can't save myself. So I'm putting my trust in Jesus I'm believing that his shed blood has paid the price for my sin and that in trusting in him I can be forgiven, cleansed, restored to God and begin to walk a walk of faith and trust in you. I thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord, and we want to offer prayer for anyone who desires prayer for healing. doesn't matter what kind. If you got stuff going on and you, you really want prayer for it, then let's keep pressing into the Lord. Let's see some more of these things take place. If... if If Jesus will touch Renee's knees, he'll touch your knee. It's proof right there of his great love. It's proof of what he wants to do. It's proof of him moving. So he wants to do a good work in you. So if you need prayer, just come. If not, God bless you. We'll see you downstairs maybe if you go down there. Amen.